hope all of you are doing well. Uh, it was actually so much fun to be in here while these graduating seniors were, were going through here. And um, so I'm just, I'm glad you got to experience th- that with us. Um, let me start off this way this morning. There's, there's two thoughts that I have to kind of just launch us off and then we'll, we'll dive into the text of scripture we're going to be in today. The first one is this. I just want to say for so many of you, I'm so proud of you for the way that you are starting to take what is kind of a weird and difficult time and you are starting to work out what does it look like to be God's people during this time. I know for many of you, it, in, it includes doing, I, last night there was a worship service in front of somebody's house. There's, just, there's people figuring out how to truly bring honor to Jesus in all this. And I promised you when we first kind of launched off onto this, that there would be plenty of opportunities. And I knew that there would be new creativity, new initiative, new places for us to dive out there. And for so many of you, let me just say this, as one of the shepherds here, I am so proud of you, the way so many of you are not only launching out there, but you're seeing even the hurt and the pain that is going on right now, even in our city, and you're diving in there. Now, the second thing I want to say is this. It hit me this week that we are definitely, uh, it, it is a unique time. I, I, don't, I hate the word unprecedented because every kind of generation seems to have difficult things that they have to walk through. But I really do believe, kind of like when I look back on the Reformation, there's so often where I thought, oh my gosh, can you imagine what it would have been to be alive during that time? And I really do believe if Jesus tarries, if he doesn't come back, I truly believe there's going to be people that are going to look back on this time 50 years from now, 100 years from now, 200 years from now, and go, oh my gosh, I wish I could have been alive then. Because I really do believe this is an incredible opportunity for the church. With everything that's going on and all the different scenarios, whether we're talking the pandemic that has set in or, or even we're talking just some of the, the unrest, the social uh, kind of unrest that's happening in our culture right now. Listen to me. I think this is a phenomenal time to be a follower of Jesus. And we need to get rid of this idea that it's somehow bad and how are we going to do it? And we need to step into what I really do believe God has given us to do. So that's why we're in the book of Romans this morning. If you've got it, you can open up to Romans 8. Uh, We're going to be kind of just looking real quick at 8.13, and then we're going to actually dive back into Romans 6. And where I'm trying to go, and this is what I I tried to do last week, if you you remember correctly, is as I started off with this question that we're trying to answer, kind of in looking at all the things going on in our world right now, but looking even beneath those, we talked about this idea of the sin and the flesh. We asked the question, well, what are we supposed to do now? I found that's the question most people are asking. I then laid out four key truths that that I wanted us to focus on this week, and and I hope you did. I hope you took the time to wrestle with them, to think about them. And and I want our church to be kicked into action. I want us to go address the ills and the the hurts of our culture. But we're going to have to get on the same page here first. We've got to be a unified church that's ready to go address things. And so the the four truths that I kind of laid out last week that kind of began moving us down the path was this. One is that if we're going to understand what we need to do now, we have to believe that right now scripture speaks into this time. God's word has the answers that we need on how to walk this through. We just need to, in some ways, get off of social media, get off of whatever our particular brand of news that we watch, get off the internet just long enough to dive into God's word because I believe God's word has the answer in there. But the other thing that I really wanted to go after last week was this idea that we've got to come to grips with the reality that the flesh in cahoots with sin is a vicious and deadly enemy. 
which then means then the third thing we talked about is then we must also in the spirit resolve to ferociously battle back against the flesh and sin in our bodies. That's what he talked about in verse 13. And let me just remind you again, not against people. Now, one person raised this idea, well, what about Ephesians 6? You know that our battle is, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, authorities. That was my, exactly. There are external realities that are out there, but our battle is not with people. And the last thing we talked about it is right now, I think more than any other time, we have to think with sober judgment. We need to be ones that don't get lost in the forest of the trees for all these different things going on so that we actually know where to battle and we get, don't get drawn by the evil one into the wrong battles. Now, what I'm trying to do here with, with Romans 8 is to get after these verses because I really do see in so many ways Christians' eyes, are, all of us who are followers of Jesus, our eyes, we're tempted to move, I think, to the wrong thing right now. I want to battle injustice. I do. The church on so many levels has been quiet for way too long on too many issues. I want to see our communities and our nation and our world experiencing peace and flourishing. And one day, under the power of Jesus, his good reign, it will. But for this to happen, I am fully convinced that it's got to begin with the church and then spill itself out into our various communities. I mean, if you think about it, the church is the only place where what everyone is longing for, just think about it, everybody's longing for peace and contentment and acceptance and love. This is the only place, even though it's just a foretaste, where those things can be experienced because this church is the body of Christ and the place where the Holy Spirit dwells. We can't make that promise out in the world we live in. And again, it's got to spill out there and we've got to address things. But we must become, I believe, this beacon of hope that we're intended to be, this good news to the world. However, before we rant and rave and before we complain about our world, which is what I believe so many around us are watching, and I think the church is doing that way too much, we need to learn how to live and how to experience and, and how to truly demonstrate who it is that we are, and I believe this, that God wants nothing more than to empower us to be that church. So that's why I focused on those four things that I did from last week. And this morning, as we continue to ask the question of, of, of what are we supposed to do, I want to isolate this answer. And if you got your Bibles, look at 813, and you'll see this idea of the deeds of the body. I think this is a very important term that he's kind of throwing out there. More specifically, in answering this question of what we're supposed to do now, there's, there's two questions that come into my mind. I don't think we're going to get to the second one, but this morning, this first one that I want to get to is, what are the deeds of the body that we're supposed to put to death? Okay, Todd, I agree with you that we are supposed to now do this. There's a battle that we're supposed to get after, but what are actually the deeds of the body that we're supposed to do to put to death? And the second question, if we have time, if not, we'll get to it next week, is how are we even supposed to do it? What does this even look like? Now, in order for us, again, to be the light of the world that God intends us to be, in order for us to understand the actual war that's supposed to be waged right now in this world that we're living on, our war is not a cultural war. Our war is not against people. Our war, he's saying here, and this is the way Paul puts it, our war is actually based around the deeds of the body. That's what he's saying in verse 13. 
So then what are the deeds of the body that we're trying to put to death? Well, if, if you got in your Bible, I'd like you to turn back to Romans 6 because that's where we're gonna go and we're gonna kind of just take a look at some verses between uh, kind of verse five and 19, but really only three verses in here that I think answer the question in a really cool way because chapter eight is just a continuation of chapter six, but they're gonna really help us this morning to understand what are the deeds of the body here that he's talking about that we are supposed to put to death. Now, the first verse that I believe helps us understand the deeds of the body we're seeking to put to death is Romans 6.6. 6. Now, now, let me read it to you because what we're going to do here is I'm going I'm to comment on it just so we can understand it. I've already preached on this a little while ago, but I want to stir this in your memory so that we can be reminded what we're supposed to do. But, but look at verse 6. He says in there, we know that our old self was crucified with him. Now, to remind us, this, this old self that he's talking about was who we were prior to Christ being fully in sin. We were completely alienated from God. We were descendants of Adam and Eve, living only and totally for ourselves. And Christ now comes in and he died. And his point is, is our old self, this old man died with him. Now, the beauty of this is, is that now no longer are we in the line of Adam. No longer now are we in this line that only brings death. But we are fully and completely in Christ. And the outcome, his argument in this in chapter 6 is, the outcome is life and the capacity to live as God intends us to be. I don't want us to miss that. In this battle against the flesh that he's talking about it is we have the capacity to do it. We have the capacity to be the people that God intends us to be. Now, in the next part of the verse, though, Paul's going to inform us now why God chose to, to nail this old self, this old man, this old woman to the cross with Christ. Now, the difficulty for many of us understanding, I think, this passage is because we don't understand fully kind of why God would do this. It's kind of foreign to us because I think for most of us, we think that when we came to know Jesus Christ, the chief purpose for which Jesus died was to now free us from sin, no doubt about it, so that we didn't have to go to hell. That's generally the extent to which we understand the role of Jesus on the cross. And it is not less than that. But listen to me. It is so much more than that. The good news that he's talking about that, that verse six tells us about is now watch this. Our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. When Jesus cried, died on the cross, Colossians 2, no doubt our sin was nailed to that tree. But something else happened here. Now, what does Paul mean by it? Now, to take us back to our Exodus mentality, and again, I'm not trying to create weird lines here, trying to be allegorical in how I'm coming at this, but I think there's something beautiful as I look back at the story of what was going on at the time of the Exodus, and we kind of bring it in here to what Paul's doing in Romans 6 and also in Romans 8. Now, what he talks about in there when he's talking about the history of Israel is he's going to talk about two water crossings that are important that result then in two different deaths. 
Now, the first one that we see kind of is in regard to, to Pharaoh's army that was buried in one moment underneath that sea. And the picture, I think, totally plays into it, especially when we see 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. That old man, when he was nailed to that tree with Jesus, he was forever killed. But the question is, who did that? Well, in understanding our battle, it is no doubt it was God who completely did that. Like the Israelites, they walked across the water or or dry land. But really, the one who destroyed the armies of Pharaoh, the one who brought about that particular death was God and God alone. Now, when you come to the other important water crossing, it comes at this point when they cross the journey. Now, it speaks of a different death, or I would even say this, different deaths that we're going to be talking about. We find them as they cross this journey. They're going from Jericho to Ai to all these different places. But their main job in all of this is not only to occupy the land, but they were to put to death these giants and these these cultures that these giants were a part of. Now, God had delivered them into the land, but now God asked them to go in trusting fully in his power to defeat these giants, to to put them to death. And we, too, in a kind of an interesting way, and again, I'm not trying to connect a dot weird, but maybe just give us a way to think through this. We have to also now join God, he's calling us to, to put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit whom he's given to us. We're to join God and maybe just kind of, again, connect the dots here to putting to death the giants that are in our lives. Or Romans 6, we are to bring them to nothing. But why? Why? And this is where I think the Exodus kind of helps us understand why. If we connect it back with this Exodus mentality, and again, look back in chapter 6, verse 6, he says, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have been freed from sin, but now you can see this, Paul understands, we are now to work it out. We already are free, but we're not yet. We've got we've to bring that to a reality. When the Israelites went into the land, God wanted all the nations of these giants completely removed from the land. In fact, you'll see this. God understood this, explained this to him with no exceptions. He wanted nothing in Canaan that would hinder his people from being holy and completely devoted to following him so that they might now truly be the light to the nations that are around them. God wanted their hearts holy. Everything was to be driven out. Nothing was to be left there. Anything that might entice them in any way not to follow God, God says, I want out of the land. Now, it's so fascinating here. And again, this is just, a, I think, an interesting dot for us to connect together to kind of see this. Paul, he too is saying to them, though we've come to Christ and things have been defeated, there are giants in there. And God is asking us to join him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, we'll use that when we talk about this next week on how to come at defeating the flesh. But he says in there, I really believe, so that we might rid ourselves also of anything that might compete, that might draw us away from an affection that we have towards God so that even on the end of this, so that our world might know who God is. He is our true master. He demands that all other potential masters completely be eliminated. So this battle that Paul's talking about in Romans 8 and also in Romans 6 (coughs) 
It's not a one-time endeavor like when they crossed the Red Sea or when the old man was crucified to the cross. Romans 6 now and Romans 8, I think, is saying, and this is important, this battle that's against the deeds of the body is a lifetime one. Our entire life, we will be battling this, these giants, and these giants are everything about this world that entices us away from who God is. God says, eliminate them. Now, again, before you go into some weird thing, like maybe a Colossians 2 reality that we're going to beat ourselves up or, or somehow deprive ourselves of something, thinking that is going to in any way keep us from doing what God's called us to do. In Romans 8, if you look back there, verse 13, it's by the Spirit. So therefore, to answer kind of our opening question about the deeds of the body that we're seeking to put to death They are anything and everything that is still present in our lives that might draw us away from God. God will not have competing allegiances to him. Jesus promised his followers, man, if you you remember this, he said, no one can serve two masters. Well, why, Jesus? For either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Those giants who draw us away from God must be slayed in the power of the Spirit. Again, we're going to look at that next week. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, like I've had to be honest with myself this week as I've studied it, there are a lot of giants to be slayed in my life. Again, it it isn't just so much that we are free from them one-time act. It is something that we have to keep working on so that we might be the people that God has called us to be to our communities and our world. So that's the first thing. When we think about this, there's these these giants that have to be eliminated inside of our lives. Now, the second verse, if you look in in Romans 6, that I believe is important now to, to helping us understand the deeds of the body that we're seeking to put to death and, and I do think it kind of falls in line with verse 6 is verse 12. Now, check this out. Watch what Paul wrote. He said, let not sin, therefore, and here's the word, reign in your mortal body. In other words, don't let those giants that need to be destroyed take the place of the one and only God and the role that he is supposed to have. Again, I, I think he's just drawing us back to verse 6 in some ways. Be careful that in no way whatsoever do they wrongly gain the throne in our lives, our shared lives together, because if we let them gain this reign, look down in verse 12, we will then begin to obey its passions. When this happens, we're not being the people God intends us to be. We are not bearing his image well. The world, to use our church purpose statement does not get an accurate picture of God. That's why this is so important. This is, this is part of the core of who we are as a church. Our desire in our heart is to give our world an accurate picture of God. And Paul says that the only way that we're going to do this now is if now we come alongside and we know it's not just about being morally bad or, or not just about trying to do the good things. But we need to rid ourselves of this because we want to give an accurate picture to our world of who God is. But Paul takes it even a step further. Now watch what he does in verse 13, which we kind of, we draw this together as he explains what it means to let sin reign and what we're, what we're to be battling about. Look what he says in here. He says, do not present your members <clears throat> to sin as instruments for righteousness. Now let me stop there to kind of, to, to help us for just a second to, 
understand what he's doing and helping us to understand what it is that we're supposed to put to death. And when Paul talks about members, he's, he's referencing the same thing that I think he's talking about back in 8.13, the body, or even when you look at verse 12, referencing the mortal body. In this case, what he's doing is he's, he's stretching out the totality of who you are so that you get this and you understand it. Therefore, he's saying to them, look, do not present your eyes, do not present your ears, do not present your hands, do not present your feet, do not present your mind or anything else to be used for unrighteousness. Don't let it happen. We cannot allow ourselves to be co-opted in, this, in things that are contrary to God's purposes in the world. We can't allow ourselves to be enslaved by, by cravings for food, cravings for alcohol, cravings for caffeine, cravings for sugar, cravings for porn and money and power and fame. Those are individual, but I would even say this, when you move it out to the greater extent, we, we have to fight against these bents that we have inside of all of us for injustice, these, these, these longings that we have somehow even to think of ourselves better than others in racism. This way now, even within, I would even say us and in our culture as a whole, that somehow we can devalue life, even getting to the point where we can murder somebody inside of a mom. He says, we've got to fight back against these. We must put them to death and not let them reign. What are we supposed to put to death? He even gives us a positive standpoint that we'll get more into next week. He says, and they present ourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and our members to God as instruments for righteousness. The spirit of God, not in this, must also empower us to practice the deeds we're supposed to, which by the way, is just another way of saying this is how we destroy these works of the flesh. So for now, the answer to the first question, let me just put this in there. What are the deeds of the body in Romans 8, 13 that we're supposed to put to death? Well, they are the deeds that enslave us to the wrong master. Our old vicious master, the flesh. They cause us to obey its passions. They're totally in contradiction to what God is doing in this world to make it right. It's, it, he's against everything of his intention for who we are supposed to be. And ultimately, Romans 8, 13, if we don't destroy the deeds of the body that are enslaving us, what John Owen said a few hundred years ago is so true, they will destroy us. Knowing the answer to this question is deadly serious. Paul says, these are the things. Now, our first inclination is going to, again, to be looking out there. But I think Paul is calling us to look in here. <clears throat> I think they're hard to see. I think the flesh is devious. I think right now, most of us are sitting there thinking that it's not me. And let me just say this to you. It is you and me. It's in us. It's so deep in us that we don't even see it. That's why he says, not only do we need now the word and we need the spirit of God, but we need each other in this moment. He says in there, we got to get after it. And we're going to talk more about this next week because I'm, I'm running out of time when I'm approaching this one. But how do we put them to death? And I think there's just a simple answer. We've got to learn how to starve the deeds that Paul says are these ones who by any means whatsoever draw us away from God. And all those then things that now draw us to God, we're supposed to feed. We're supposed to do everything in our power to feed the right thing and to starve the other thing. 
To go back to my illustration from last week, this snakehead, we are to take that snakehead, we're to put it deep into the ground, we're to leave it there to make sure that that poison in no way seeps back. But that's where we're going next week. Now, let me draw this to a conclusion this morning. I want us this week to commit ourselves to wholeheartedly identifying and begin to go after the deeds of the body that we see within our lives that are incompatible with our allegiance to King Jesus. I want us to go after it by addressing this this mindset within me and, and maybe within you that is shaped by the flesh. But one that is also shaped by, I would say this, a misunderstanding of the gospel that isn't, I would say, fully complete. For many of us, as I said earlier, the gospel we presented when we first came to know Christ that gripped our hearts was this need to avoid eternal damnation. Now, without a doubt, I believe this to be true. But my main concern in my life and in yours is that it has catered to a fleshy tendency in all of us to avoid discomfort. I really do believe if you were to nail down the sin deep within us that is one that we don't see is our over longing for comfort that isn't from God. In other words, I would say this, how many of us came to Christ was not because we wanted a new master and king over us. We just knew that it was something in this life. There was more to it. We wanted the assurance that after we died, we were okay. Now the problem with that is, is that thou stays deep within us. In fact, now comfort is not just to me individually, but comfort now has worked its way into the church. And I think right now at this time, more than any other, God is taking and shaking things up and reminding us that we don't have to find comfort in all those other things. We have comfort in the right thing. But anytime things get uncomfortable or scary, I see this both in myself and others. We have this tendency to hide or run away or even maybe just to pretend all is good. I see this tendency in my life and I see it in the life of my family. I see it in the life of my friends when dealing with very issues and you probably see it in yours. I believe it's why so many people have or even thinking about leaving California because it's getting uncomfortable here. Even at this time, and I was trying to be honest with myself as I thought through this, and even as I've talked to other people, we want Jesus to return, but not necessarily because we long to see him, but because we want to avoid and we want our children to avoid and we want our friendships to avoid this scary, uncomfortable time in which we find ourselves. This comfort flesh is using and cahoots with sin And I believe this, the one thing that is gonna keep us from being the church that God's called us to be is we're gonna flee to comfort instead of fleeing to Christ. The gospel we have believed, while aspects of it are undoubtedly true, it's it's just way too narrow in scope. The gospel we believe has no answer for all of the the social upheaval that's, that's going on around us that we're receiving. So what do we do? I see so many people just ranting and raving about the decay of society. The gospel we believe can't make sense of the world that's in so much turmoil so that we just want quickly for the rapture to happen. 
to soothe our angst and to avoid tough issues, we then surround ourselves in an echo chamber of friends and news stations and, and data and preachers that people send us on social media that tell us what our itching ears want to hear. I think we're at a time in 2 Timothy 4 where we want people to tell us what we want to hear. We want to stay comfortable, but listen, Cornerstone, don't let yourself go there. The problem is our echo chamber tells us how bad those not in our bubble are. It's not about us. The echo chamber says it's them. How they are going to hell in a handbasket. And if we aren't careful, we will go with, with them. We tell ourselves or we're boldly told by others that the problem is not us. But I really think if we're not careful, we'll become like the Pharisee in Luke 18 who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like them. We will become the very Pharisees that Jesus hated. And if we really want to see God transform the families and communities and the world in which we live, we have to start with us. We need to get our eyes off of of others and what the world is doing to for just a moment and pray. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. We need to believe again, Proverbs 27, 6, that the faithful of the wounds who friend who tell us what we need to hear, maybe not what we want to hear, and stay away from those profuse of the kisses of the enemy who tell us only what we want to hear. We need to get ourselves out in the world and we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and understand what's going on and address the idols that are inside of us. And I'm saying all this because I believe as we begin to address these things, the doors of the gospel, this harvest that's about ready to be opened up is not gonna be for the people that think they're the problem. They're gonna be the people that are humble and contrite before a holy God. And when God opens that door, watch out because when humble contrite people in the power of God begin to hit a community watch out because things happen that's why Paul says the deeds of the flesh in our body is so important your battle is not out there against Republicans or Democrats. Your battle out there is not against the people on your social media account. Your battle out there is not that. Your battle, Paul says, begins inside of you with an understanding, again, Ephesians 6, where we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and authorities. There's no doubt about that. But I think right now, Cornerstone, now is the time to deal with us. got to deal with us. I say all that because number one, I don't think it's going to get any easier in the coming weeks and months. I think it's going to be harder and harder to deal with us because we're going to start to see more and more of what is the problem out there. But anytime God's people humble themselves before this God, watch out. And that's what I want for us. I think right now is our time. It's our place. 
I love this church. And I know some of you even are going to hear me and be like, that's right. Let's go figure out how to be the church that God intends us to be. And so many of you already are. But I'm hoping that even some of you sitting there right now thinking, oh, Todd's not talking to me. He doesn't understand how bad it is out there. I do. Oh. But I want us to be on that precipice that if Jesus tarries and he doesn't come back for 100 years or 200 years, they will look back on this time in churches like Cornerstone who took seriously, not the sin that's out there right now, but first and foremost, this sin that is in us, these giants that need to be slayed, these things that keep us from a wholehearted, compassionate, but passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ, these this reality inside of us that wants to be this now example, this picture of God to the world. I want them to write about us one day. They were faithful. They were ready. And so this week, what I would love for you to do is to take Psalm 139 seriously. Let the spirit of God search your heart. Take Proverbs 27 seriously. Go ask friends and family and loved ones. What about me needs to change? I would even see this. Get out of your echo chamber. I know some of you come from a liberal background and maybe you watch MSNBC and CNN, but I know because I know most of you, Fox News is on your mind. Get out of that echo chamber. Even if you need to, get off of social media for just a week. Let preachers, as they preach, preach truth into your life. Let God's word speak truth. Go sit down with people that aren't like you. And instead of blabbering, listen. Allow us just to become the people that God intends us to be. Because I believe those are the people that God will prime to speak most boldly in the world that we live in now. I love all of you deeply. I'm right here with you. Oh gosh, the sin that the Lord's revealing in my life. You don't know how badly I want comfort. I don't want to have to deal with things in my family. I don't want to have to deal with things in my local church. I don't want to deal with things in my community. I don't want to deal with things in my nation. I, I, I am, if I'm really honest, that's just sin of comfort in the things of this world is deep in me. I need your help. But I really believe this is our time. And so in the name of the Father, oh, who Paul later says in Romans 8, is our Abba Father, who loves us immensely. In the name of the Son, oh, who became the firstborn among many brethren, conquered death, being raised from the grave by the Holy Spirit that's now inside of us as a testimony to those that this pathway is possible. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, who gives us comfort, not like this world gives us, but gives us comfort deep within who we are in that place that no one else can get to as the Holy Spirit can. May God bless you and keep you this week. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may you be empowered this week to see your battle with the flesh. I love you.